0: This morning, allow us the opportunity of beholding your face through your word. Pray that the word of God would shine forth through me. And that people would remember the gospel of truth at the end of this. So Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for blessing us with this opportunity and this time. Be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Real quick, Lee, could you pass me the clicker right there for the um, cross references? Y'all can go ahead and um, opening your copy of God's Word to the Book of Galatians. We're going to continue on in the Book of Galatians. My name is Canaan. I'm one of the pastors here at Pillar Church. Okay. Go ahead and opening your copy of God's Word to the Book of Galatians. Chapter 4. We're going to be continuing in Chapter 4. But I want to open with this concept. I don't know if any of you, have any of you ever tried to grow a garden, a flower bed, or maybe, maybe rehab your grass? Yeah. Right? I've try, I've, I'm trying to do that this year. I'm trying to rehab my grass in my front uh, lawn because it's, it's brown and um, it's really bad looking. And so I need to, I've been watering it a lot. I've been trying to rehab it. And if you've ever done a garden, a flower bed, vegetables, try to grow grass, what's your number one enemy when it comes to growing grass? Weeds. Right. And so the reason why I decided I was going to try to rehab this flower bed, I mean, my my lawn is because it was full of weeds. And so I decided and it's funny. It was like one day my lawn was great. Like two days later, it was a forest. And I know y'all can relate because I've seen some of y'all's houses. Uh-huh. Yeah. See, i am seen it save y'all's awake. Y'all awake. Okay. So I decided a couple months back, I was like, yo, it's going to be all out war. I'm going to go after the weeds. And so I went to Home Depot and I bought the most diabolical roundup you ever want to see in your life. Like I went and I found the most evil, murderous roundup you could buy. I found it. And I, I looked online. I got a concoction. And I started mixing stuff together, and I got the little pump sprayer, so I went and I started pumping the spray, and I went and I sprayed it all over my grass, I sprayed it all over my flower bed, I sprayed it over some vegetables, I sprayed it over everything. And guess what, beloved? I killed the weeds. And I killed everything else, too. Nobody helped you, boy. Beloved, Roundup works to kill weeds in our garden. But hear this. If you don't use it properly, it would inevitably lead to the death of your entire garden, right? The answer to a garden that's enslaved by weeds is not a heavy dose of Roundup. That's not what you're supposed to do. It's the careful uprooting of those weeds. You see, once you uproot the weeds and you add a little water for nourishment, your plants, your grass, your vegetables will have space to spread its roots and to flourish that's what it will happen That an analogy is is applicable to our text this morning as it pertains to sin law and the gospel sin has had its way in the garden of our hearts and minds since birth growing and spreading with little to no resistance and some of us have been taught that the cure for sin is a harsh and heavy dose of God's laws, statutes, and commandments. That's what some of us have been taught. That in order to weed out the sin, we need a heavy dose of laws, statutes, and commandments. But as soon as we apply that heavy dose of laws, statutes, and commandments, the more death tends to spread in in the gardens of our soul. The more we try to apply and abide By all of God's laws, statutes, and commandments, we quickly realize that all it's doing is leading us to death. It's not doing what we thought it was supposed to do for us. You have to come to the realization, beloved, that the cure for our sin is not laws, statutes, or commandments. The goal of our spiritual health and nourishment isn't laws, statutes, and commandments. The goal of knowing and growing more intimate with Jesus doesn't come from laws, statutes, or commandments. It comes from gospel truth. It comes by abiding in the person of Jesus. Faith in his name is how we grow intimate to Jesus, how we grow closer to God. This is what the Apostle Paul, that's what his goal is to teach us Partly in this morning, that if we embrace the gospel, if we embrace gospel truth, it will uproot the weeds from our garden and will allow us to use the law as it was intended to be used, which will ultimately end in our flourishing. Paul's going to remind us this morning that the law is not the answer, that faith in Jesus is. And so look with me in Galatians chapter four. We're going to start at verse 26. Verse 26, Galatians chapter 4 says, But the Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother. Our text starts off with the word but, and that's because it's comparing verse 26 with verse 25. Look what it says in verse 25 of Galatians chapter 4. It says, Now Hagar represents Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. So, beloved, you see there are two things being compared in this passage. The present day, uh, the Jerusalem above, right? Present Jerusalem. Two things being compared. The Jerusalem above and the present day Jerusalem. This is, what, this is Paul's uh, comparison that he's opening our eyes to. Throughout the book of Galatians, Paul is combating false teachers and false teaching. And there are men teaching that the laws, statutes, and commandments of God are the means of attaining freedom and righteousness. That's what they're teaching these Galatian churches. So the Apostle Paul decides to use a narrative from Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar to illustrate his argument. Sarah, let's see if we got this. Here we go. Sarah is Abraham's wife, and she corresponds to freedom in our analogy, in our passage. Hagar is Sarah's slave, and she corresponds to bondage in our passage. Paul's point in this passage is that, this, is that some of us are children of Hagar, some of us are children of bondage, and some of us are children of Sarah, and we're children of freedom. And the thing that determines which child we are who is our figurative mother is the th- it, what determines that is the thing or the place in which we put our hope. Whatever you trust in is the, is the teller as to whether or not you are a ch- child of Sarah or you are a child of Hagar. Whether or not you are spiritually free or you are spiritually in bondage. The reality of whose child you are determined by these two And those who try to attain holiness and right standing before God by keeping the law, those are children of Hagar. That's Team Roundup, those individuals. They're living in spiritual bondage, enslaved by sin and spiritually burned by a misapplication of the law. Beloved, I don't know if you've ever tried. But if you would, go ahead and try to apply the 613 Old Covenant laws and live by them. What you soon come to realize, beloved, is that you sin in ways that you didn't know you could. It opens your eyes to the depths of the depravity within your own heart. It shows you that God's standard for me is way higher than what I am able to attain. And it hurts to realize the reality of our own depravity. It changes us from a state of self-righteousness to a state of humility if we are trying to gain access and righteousness with the divine. You're in bondage to the idea. You're in bondage to this concept that you are able to gain proximity to God through your own actions, through your own abilities. When you do that, you are figuratively burning the landscape of your soul. Because you'll soon realize, man, I can't do this. And if you have not seen and known and believed in what Jesus has done for us, we then turn to a state of hopelessness. Right. It's impossible to get right with God. I can't do it. What can I do? What should I do? Where can I turn? And if your faith is not in the person of Jesus, there is no way you can turn, beloved. It's a state of bondage. Look at what Paul says about the misapplication of the law. Look how he, how he explains it in Galatians 3.10. He says, for all who rely on the works of the law are what? Under a curse. Look what he says again. Now, oh, let's go back. It's the misapplication of that. All who do what? Rely on the law. It doesn't say it's not useful, not helpful, not beautiful, not good for other things. But if you are relying on the law... To be justified, do y'all remember justification, y'all remember the definition of justification? To be declared righteous, right? To be declared righteous by God. If you're trying to be declared righteous by God, by works of the law, you're under a curse, beloved. Look what he says again, Galatians 3.11. Now it is clear that, what, how many people? No one is what? Justified before God, how? By the law. Because the righteous will live. By faith. So here's a snapshot of what the law can't do. It can't justify us. It cannot declare us righteous before God. So you're in bondage if you think it can. Look what he says in Galatians 3.23. For faith, for, for this faith came. We were, now key words, we were what? Confined. That's a, that's a word that describes lockdown, right? That's not a, that's not a freedom word. That's a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a bound word. You were confined under the law, it says. And then another bound word, what imprisoned until the coming faith was revealed. And then finally, Paul says some real harsh words in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 for those who misapply the law. 2 Corinthians 37, he says the ministry that brought death and that word ministry there is is referring to the old covenant law. That ministry, what did it bring? It brought death. Chiseled in letters on stones should bring your mind back to what? Those Ten Commandments, right? Have you ever walked into a room, beloved? And you may have thought the room was, you know, it was dark. Couldn't really see how clean the room was. But as soon as you turn on them lights, you realize how filthy that room really is. If y'all got, live in the house with little kids, y'all know what I'm talking about. The room look clean, right? And then you flip on the light and what do you see? Crumbs everywhere. Ants in the corner. Y'all laughing because y'all know what it is. <laughs> He's like, Dang. I came over, I saw. Her. No, I'm messing with you. The illumination of the light reveals the truth of the uncleanliness of the room. So it is with the purpose of the law. A proper, a proper understanding of the law is going to illuminate the filth within your heart that previously there was no light to shine forth thereon. Now don't get it twisted. The law is an amazing thing. It represents God's character. It represents God's holiness. The law is pure. The law is righteous. But what the law does not do is allow you to earn a right standing before God. Look at Romans 7, verse 12 through 13. It says, so then the law is holy. Y'all see what Paul's saying about it? He's not crushing it if it's used properly. He says the law is holy and the commandment is holy and just. And good. Those are that's the category of amazing words, isn't it? That's the law. But then he says, Therefore, did what is good become death to me? Absolutely not. But sin, in order to be recognized as sin, remember, the illumination of that, of what it does. Its ministry is illumination. So you recognize that sin was producing death in me through what is good. So the good thing called the law illuminated and revealed all the death. in in, in wickedness that was in my soul, in my heart. So that through the commandments, sin might become sinful beyond measure. Those who lean on the law in any capacity to attain eternal life is running a fool's errand, beloved. It's it's silly. It's sort of like exercise. Y'all exercise? Exercise. If you don't do it, it's good for you. Like, uh, see, y'all thought it was going to be a trick, like, oh, he's going to say don't exercise. No, beloved, exercise. Hit the be- Fellas, hit that bench press. You know you want to get that chess game right. Ladies trying to work on the thigh game, you know what I'm saying? It's going to build endurance, healthy bodies, clear thinking, stress relief. Those are all good things that exercise does for us. So exercise if you can, but you'd be a fool to think that if you exercise, you'll live forever in this world. It looks foolish, right? You see the people running down the street every morning, and I'm sitting there eating my donut like, fool. <laughs> I hope you're just doing it for clear thinking because it ain't going to work for eternal life. See, it's funny when we talk about it as something that's normative. Yeah. But for some reason in the spiritual, we, we misapply a good thing. And when we misapply a good thing, it doesn't live up to the expectation. When it doesn't live up to the expectation, we throw it all away completely. Yeah. No. Beloved, neither the law nor exercise has the ability to give to give life. If that's you this morning, if if there's inklings in there, and I know y'all remember Galatians is talking about the same thing over and over and over. That's why it sounds the same as the last 17 weeks. If you are attempting to gain favor with God through your ability to keep or maintain your own righteous standard by you adhering to his law, you are running a fool's errand. You are under the bondage of a curse. You cannot do it, beloved. If that's you you're on a treadmill running to your own destruction if that's you you are the present day jerusalem that paul was talking about in the beginning of the chapter beginning of the the thing says those who are under bondage that's the present day jerusalem those who are trusting in works of the law for their own righteousness are the present day jerusalem now beloved i want you to hear this they're chasing good things the wrong way right they're chasing proximity to jesus intimacy with god holiness but they're chasing it the wrong way what are some things that we chase the wrong way too because it's easy to point the finger at them but we do the same thing we're looking for peace we're looking for comfort but we're looking from it from our spouse we're looking from it from our parents that's the wrong place to ultimately find those things because there will come a time where they don't offer you peace in fact they are the bane of your existence you're going to fight beloved Some people are looking for peace through separation or division. They think the grass is greener on the other side. No, beloved. The grass is greener wherever you water it. You're chasing green pastures in the wrong place for the wrong wrong reasons. We're improperly de-weeding our souls, doing damage, doing more damage than good. We're chasing validation through... Words of our spouses, instead of from what God's word it says, this is real, and if this is you, I ain't talking about you, kind of am, but I'm not. Some of us are measuring our worth by our ability to find a boyfriend or a girlfriend. That's real. Beloved, that's not how you measure your worth, by whether or not some fool loves you. You are worth everything in the sight of God. You are beauty in his eyes and you're beautiful to his children as well. Don't believe the lie that you're not worth it. God's timing is God's timing and it's perfect and I don't know or understand why some of you may have not found that individual person yet. I don't know. But don't think that that's a measure or a statement of your worth. Some of us are just trying to make the ends meet but we do so by lying on our resume, by cheating on our tax forms, By finding innocent yet illegal ways to gain income. Beloved, how do I know it crosses your mind? Because it crosses mine. You're trying to make the ends meet. It's almost like you will do whatever it takes to make them, especially if you got somebody dependent on you to eat. We're chasing good things, but sometimes we chase them the wrong way. These Judaizers that Paul is 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 barking at is chasing eternal life great thing god great thing but they're chasing it with finite legs wrong way that's not going to work they are the present day jerusalem and then what paul does is he compares the present day jerusalem to what verse chapter 4 verse 26 but the jerusalem above is not bound like that jerusalem they are free and she is our mother Now, the word above here, in contexts such as these, when the Apostle Paul uses it, usually refers to two things. It it means heavenly or spiritual. That's what that word tends to relay. Here's an example from the book of Colossians, another one of Paul's letters. He says, so if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things what? Above. Now, he's going to explain what that means. Where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. He sp- things above equal heavenlies, right? Yeah. Seek heavenly things, spiritual things. Then he says it again, verse 2. Set your mind, set your minds on things above. Now again, he's going to compare above to something. Not on what? Yeah. Earthly things. Heavenly things, spiritual things, right? Set your mind on those things. So when Paul says, but the Jerusalem above is free, he's juxtaposing... Two different Jerusalems. One that is bound and is not heavenly, but earthly. One that is free and is not earthly, but heavenly. Paul is saying that there is a heavenly, spiritual Jerusalem that is distinct from its physical counterpart. And that is spiritually born again into freedom. Those who are born unto the Spirit are Sarah's children. Children of Freedom, Children of the promise. Sarah is the figurative mother of those who are free from the curses of the Old Testament. Beloved, if any people group tries to identify you with curses rather than blessings, put your ears up. Because Ephesians chapter 1 says that all the blessings of Christ Jesus, are all the blessings of God are ours in Christ Jesus. Which means, am I blessed or am I cursed? I'm blessed. Because I'm in Christ Jesus. She is mother to those who have been rescued from the terroristic captivity of sin. That's Romans 6. Multiple times in Romans chapter 6, it talks about how we are set free from the chains of sin. Read it, beloved. It's beautiful. She's the mother of those who have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. You see, beloved, those who have faith in Jesus, that is the Jerusalem above that Paul is speaking of. They're sons and daughters of the promise. This is what Paul has been getting at. Remember, Paul is speaking to a majority Gentile church. And he's saying that there's a Jerusalem above. Those who have faith in Jesus, they are Abraham's true seeds. They are children of Sarah. Look at Galatians chapter 3. Hold on, this is the wrong verse. Ignore this verse. Oh no, wait. Boom, there it is. Look what it says, Galatians 3.29. If you belong to Christ, full stop for a second, that says nothing about any other attribute of you. You notice that? If you belong to Christ, period. If you belong to Him, then what? Then you are Abraham's seed. That's what Paul says. If you belong to Him, you're in the lineage. Heirs according to the promise, it says. What is that telling you about the lineage? Of God's promise, is to be spread and dealt spiritually, not physically. Because if you belong to Christ, no matter what lineage you may come from, you are heirs according to the promise. Now look what Paul says in our passage in Galatians 4:28. He says, "Now you too, remember, we're talking to a majority what church? Gentile church. What's he saying to them? You too, majority Gentile church." Our brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of, I'm sorry, you two brothers and sisters. So he's identifying himself with them. Then he says, like Isaac, are what? Children of promise. Now he uses Isaac specifically in this passage. Because Isaac is a key component to this. So isn't Jacob. Paul goes back to Abraham's life as For his example, Abraham had two sons that were notable, okay? I don't know how many sons, I can't remember how many sons Abraham had in total, but he had two that were notable. It's not up there. His oldest son was Ishmael, okay? He was his oldest son, Ishmael. Ishmael was the son of Hagar. Do y'all remember who Hagar was? Sarah's slave. Then he had another son, the son's name was Isaac. Isaac was Sarah's child. Sarah was Abraham's wife. She was free. And so Paul intentionally identifies those who are in Christ with not the oldest son, who was the son of the slave woman, but he identifies those who are in Jesus with the youngest son, who is the son of the free woman. Enslavement begets enslavement. Freedom begets in He says, "Beloved, you are like Isaac. You are a son of." promise you are free spiritually no longer bound no longer identified with the negative but only with christ in fact in hebrews chapter 11 verse 17 through 18 look what it says it says by faith abraham when he was tested offered up that promised son isaac right he received the promises which was what oh there's offspring with okay your offspring will be traced through Isaac, right? Multiple offspring, you're going to be numerous. He received the promise, and yet he was offering his one and only son, the one whom he had said, your offspring will be traced through Isaac. When you read that, your eyes should go, huh, well, I wonder what that's saying. It says that it's his one and only son. But we already highlighted that Abraham had two notable sons here. Ishmael, who's older than Isaac, and then this little brother, Isaac. So how is Isaac the only, one and only son if he has a big brother? It's similar language to what's used of Jesus in John chapter three, verse 16. We all know it for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son or his only begotten son. The word there is monogonase. Monogonase doesn't mean the only one in a line or a lineage. Monogonase means unique son of promise. Isaac is the unique son of promise, not Ishmael. And by Paul highlighting the fact that we are like Isaac, those who have faith in Jesus, we can then understand that we are heirs to the promise because we identify with the unique son of promise. According to this passage, how, oh, and then you look at, according to this passage, How is God's promises and his favor distributed? The first two words of the verse. By faith. Y'all see that, right? And it's helpful if you read the whole chapter of Hebrews chapter 11. But the promises are dispensed by faith, not by law. Beloved, don't get caught up chasing God through law. In fact, don't get caught up making promises to God that you know you can't keep. How do I know you do it? I do it. Lord, just get me through this thing. Don't, just don't do that. It's like making a New Year's resolution. Why? You're going to last till the 31st. And it's over. Some of y'all don't get through the week. I ain't going to eat meat. Y'all chomping on McDonald's two days later. Just don't, Just place your trust in the Messiah. That's what he's there for. We can't attain proximity to God through the law. Beloved, we become children of freedom by faith. We become children of the promise by faith. We become children of God by faith. And so I ask you this question. Do you want to know God? Do you want to be more intimate and closer proximity to God? What you do, beloved, isn't... Take, you know, unbutton your shirts, tighten your bootstraps and work. No, beloved. You throw your hands up and you cry out to the Lord of Lords and King of Kings and say, Lord, I need a rescuer. I need a savior. And that's why his name is Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah. His name is derivative of Yeshua, Joshua, which means the savior. He comes to save his people. Just give yourself to the savior and you will be saved. You will gain proximity with God. You will grow in intimacy with God. The more you depend on him, and the less you depend on yourself and your abilities, the closer you will grow to him. But if you keep trying to do it yourself, you will burn your whole lawn up with self, um, uh, with, a self with a failed self-righteousness, constantly. Trust and believe these verses. Oh, oh, read this verse. I'm skipping y'all, listen. That's why I put him up here. Keep me straight. Just identify with the psalmist for for a little bit. He says, I waited patiently for the Lord. Psalm 40 verses 1 through 5. I waited patiently for the Lord and he turned to me and he heard my cry for help. Y'all see that? I didn't do a whole bunch of stuff to get his attention. I didn't work and work and work and work and say, God, I'm right here. I made it. I cried to God. And what did he do? He heard me. Beloved, that's not weak. That's called strength. To be dependent on the Almighty is strong. No, it's weak thinking you can do it. You can't. You're scared. That's why you keep trying. Trust in the Savior. He says, He brought me up from a desolate pit out of the muddy clay, and He set my feet on a rock. I want to experience that, beloved. Don't you? He said, Making my steps secure. Verse 3 says, look, he says, he put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear, and they will trust in the Lord. How happy is anyone that puts his trust in the Lord and has not turned to the proud or those who run after lies? Lord, my God, you have done many things. Your wondrous works and your plans for us, none can compare with you. If I were to report and speak of them, there would be more than than can be told. Beloved, when you're feeling distant from God, cry to him. Let him place your, your feet on a rock. Let him pull you out of the desolate pit in the muddy clay. Let him make your steps secure so that then you will have a new song coming out of your mouth. You want that, beloved. I want that. But we only attain it By trusting, where's it at? By putting our trust in the Lord. It's the only way. We wonder why we don't experience freedom is because we trust ourselves too much. We wonder why we feel like, oh, God ain't, no, because we trust ourselves too much. Trust and believe this. Paul says that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. 1 Corinthians 15. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures this message is near you this message is near you in your mouth and in your heart this is the message of faith that we proclaim this is what paul says in romans 10. if you confess with your mouth that jesus is lord and believe in your heart that god raised him from the dead you will be saved one believes with his heart resulting in righteousness and one confess with his mouth resulting in salvation. Now, look what he says. He leans on the Old Testament for the scripture says everyone who what believes on him will not be put to shame. Since there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The lineage is spiritual, beloved, because the same Lord of all Richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, beloved, put your name there. If you would but call, humble yourself, don't care what nobody else around you thinks about you for 10 seconds and just call on the name of the Lord because you need him. Just maybe we'll experience the freedom and joy that we've been yearning for. But the circumstances of the opinions of men keep us from yelling out to God, crying out to God. The busyness of this life keeps us from yelling out to God, crying out to God. Whatever it is. Beloved, those who have faith in Jesus are residents of the Jerusalem above. Those who have faith in Jesus are what Paul will later say, the Israel of God. Not by lineage but by the divine plan of God in Christ to bless all the nations of the earth. Look what Paul says in Romans 9, leading to Romans 10. Now it is not though the word of God has failed, because not all who descended from Israel are Israel. Y'all see that? So he's saying something. He's cutting, he's he's putting a knife in this concept of a descendant-based promise, a lineage-based, blood-based promise. He says not all... Did I push the button? Here it is. Not all who are descended from Israel are actually Israel. Why? Neither is the case that all of Abraham's children are his descendants. If you take that physically, then it makes no sense. It's because Paul is building a case that God's children are children of promise by faith. That's what he just said in Galatians, right? He says not all of Abraham's children are his descendants. Of course my children are my descendants, but not when it comes to the promises in in favor of God. It doesn't work that way. Just like our children can't be born into the faith. They have to trust their own, they have to trust on themselves, yeah. on their own. Okay. On the contrary, your offspring will be traced through Isaac. What did we learn about Isaac? He was the monogamous, which means the what? The unique son of promise, whom all those who have faith now identify with. That is, now he's going to explain it again. I didn't make it up. That is, it is not chosen by physical descent. Who are God's children but children of the promise are considered to be the offspring he continues as it also says in Hosea I will call not my people my people and she who is unloved beloved and it will be in the it will be in the place where they were told you are not my people there they will be called sons of the living God what should we say then Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained righteousness, namely the righteousness that comes by faith, or comes from faith. But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not achieved righteousness of the law. Why is that? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were by works. They stumbled over the stone, the stumbling stone. Brothers and sisters, My heart's desire and prayer for those people to God concerning them is for their salvation. I can testify about them that they have zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Since they are ignorant of the righteousness of God and attempted to establish their own righteousness. They have not they have not submitted to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Now, beloved, those verses are just shared with you. Those who call themselves Israelites won't like that very much because it takes the attention off of them. It takes the attention off of their bloodline lineage. So they're not going to like that. They have so much pride in their lineage and in their ethnicity. And beloved, hear me on this. Y'all think I might be talking about a current modern day group. It's the same thing that was happening in Paul's day. Ain't no different. Paul's beefing with him and he's saying, take your eyes off your lineage. Take your eyes off your ethnicity. Stop making it about you and your people. It's about those who have faith in Jesus. Those are God's people. And guess what? Since they don't like it, they will persecute you. I didn't say that. That's Paul's. That's the next verse in the the chapter. Verse 29. But just as then, the child born as a result of the flesh persecuted the one born as a result of the spirit and so also now beloved if you proclaim that the people of God are people of faith in Jesus you will be persecuted for it potentially they will slander you they'll call you names what are we called to do Paul tells us again in verse 30 Right next verse but what does the scripture say Drive out the slave and her son. For the son of the slave will never be a co-heir with the son of the free woman. Why? Because they have placed their hope in something other than Christ. You'll never be a co-heir. You'll never be a son of a daughter of promise. You'll never have hope. You'll never have true joy because you can't attain the thing you're running from. You're on a treadmill and there's a carrot in front of you and you're starving. But the treadmill don't let you move an inch forward. As soon as you get tired, what happens? You fall back. Paul is telling us that there's some major de-weeding that has to happen to these false teachers in this particular area, and even in our day day. Now, remember the context: these false teachers are agitating the church at Galatia, and they're trying to convince these Gentile, church, predominantly Gentile churches, that they have to adhere to the Mosaic law covenant, they have to be circumcised, and they have to adhere to the protocol of Israelite superiority in order to be made right with God. But what does Paul say in the beginning of his letter? I'm not bending or yielding an inch. Look what he says. This matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on our freedom we have in Christ Jesus in order to enslave us. Right? They're trying to bring us back to adherence to something that Jesus fulfilled. But we did not give up and submit to these people for even a moment so that the truth of the gospel would be preserved for you. Beloved, our call is similar to the Apostle Paul's call here. That we get familiar with our spiritual lineage in the person of Christ Jesus, and we stand with two feet firmly rooted against any law-based proximity to Jesus that will come across our desks or our tables. We have to uproot any of that Let me see if I got this quote. Nope. We must begin and maintain the process of uprooting lies by consistently pressing into gospel truth. This is my call, beloved. Get familiar with the gospel. Get familiar for what to get familiar with what Jesus has done to redeem all who place their faith in him. So that you might stand. Not on your works, not on your lineage, but on faith, on the one who did it for us. Beloved, the battle for truth is an element of spiritual warfare. And God is calling us to fight. But this is what he wants us to know, this truth. That therefore, brothers and sisters, verse 31, those who have faith in Jesus, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Beloved, this morning, when you go home, remember your freedom in Christ. Call out to him. Trust in him. Don't look at your sins from yesterday. Don't look at your sins from this morning. Gaze upon the Savior and know that you can do nothing to be separated from him if your faith is in his name. And he will transform you from the inside. The laws don't transform you from the inside out. He transformed you to conform with his laws. I want to get closer to Jesus. Father, help my people get closer to Jesus. Help them get closer, not by works, not by effort, Not by trying really, really hard. Not by promises they can't keep. Help them get closer by trust and faith in you. Lord, your word says in Ephesians 4.30 that you indwell us who have faith in Jesus. And that that spirit within us transforms us. And that we grow in holiness... And we end up looking more like what your laws prescribe. The higher the dose of the spirit within our soul. And the greater amount of of transformation that happens within us because of our faith and trust in you. Lord, I can conform my outer, but I cannot transform my inner. And if I conform my outer without my inner being transformed, it's only a matter of time before the truth comes out. But if my inner is transformed, it's only a matter of time before my outer looks like it. And so, Father, I pray by faith that you would grab hold of your children this morning, that you would grab hold of me, and that you would lead us ever closer to you, that we would worship you in spirit and in truth, and that our heart would be knit to you by faith, transformed by the blood of the Savior. Drive us near to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.